The year is 2003. Tom is your first friend on MySpace. 50 Cent costs a dollar on iTunes. The Terminator becomes the Governator. And nobody can find those weapons of mass destruction. T-20. Rewind 20 years with Joe and Mel. Week of 26 January 2003. T-20. The rest is history. Britney, bitch. T-20. You need to nominate two housemates. If you think you're some bitch is full of crap, give me a hell yeah. 20. Welcome to Jackass. Oh, thanks for joining us for another week as we rewind 20 years. This is T minus 20, the podcast that talks about news, movies, music, books, pop culture, anything that was hot this week 20 years ago. We're going to be all over it. It's Joe and Mel here. Hello, Mel. Hello, or AKA the two old women who hate on Corey Feldman. <laughs> yes, that could be our new tagline. It could. We, uh, <laughs> we've. It's been a tumultuous week at the mm. time of recording over on the TikToks, yes. where we had a video that completely blew up. We'll talk more about that in a sec. Just what's happening in this week's show? We're looking at the week of the twenty sixth of January through to the first of February, back in two thousand and three. This week, twenty years ago. The Space Shuttle Columbia disintegrates during re-entry into the Earth's atmosphere, Mm. killing all seven astronauts on board. Yeah, very, Mm. very vividly. I think I saw it live on the news. Yeah, terrible, terrible. Yeah. It was also the waterfall rail accident in New South Wales. Uh Super Bowl XXXVII. 35, 37. 37. 37. Super Bowl 37. Woo! Roman numerals. Avril yep. Levine is back in the charts. We have a new New York Times bestseller. It's been a while oh, between Oh, we're going to talk about books. Haven't done any reading for a while. All right, well, we can read other people's comments mm-hmm. there. That'll be good, yeah. And we're going to chat Faith No More a fair bit. Excellent. And we're not sorry. No. No, not at all. <laughs> One of my favourite bands. I can't wait mm. to get into that conversation. Mm. But more about this hating on Corey Feldman stuff, which can I categorically say? We did not do. We don't hate on Corey Feldman. Corey Feldman mm. has given us some of the greatest films of all time that yes. brought us to our childhood. Stand By Me, Friday the 13th Goonies. Part, whatever, Goonies, yes. uh, Gremlins, mm-hmm. The mm. Burbs. Licence to Drive. Licence to Corys. Drive, right? Yeah. Amazing. You know, but we made a few comments about his music career and we posted that up on TikTok. And uh, the moral high ground was taken by various recreational outrageous <laughs> Activists. I thought we got roused on when we were discussing Ronaldo's hair. I was rethinking my uh, TikTok presence at that point. Yeah. But, um, mm, yeah. You want to turn tail and run from the TikTok? I think there was around 110 comments. Yeah. Oh, that's only yeah, but I replied to everyone. So, so that's you know I was kind of stoking busy. the fire. You've been very you know, busy. We had over ten thousand views on this particular video, and mm. we, that's the most engagement we've seen with anything. <laughs> None of it has translated to listeners for the podcast. No, None of it. Not no. a sausage. You may have had someone unsubscribe. Who knows? Possibly. But people love Corey Feldman, and you nah. know, I hear I was thinking that TikTok was kind of. The place for the youth, you know, because all of these people that are turning 20 at the moment, they're, they're TikTok famous. Yeah. So I was quite surprised to see so many people backing Corey on the TikTok. Me, no, I wasn't. I, I think that it's so easy to just 
take the high ground and make yourself look good by, you know, having a crack at someone else, which is exactly what we did. We had a crack at Corey Feldman. But you cannot tell me that his music is good. I'm sorry. Mm. And you cannot tell me that his performances are good. And I actually think we're doing Corey a service by pointing that out to him. Yes. Well, that's the thing. It's it's not that we're bagging him as a whole. We're just saying that music, the, the snippet that we heard as well. We're judging by the snippet that we heard. We haven't been oh, to his concert. I've seen a few snippets. We've seen a few snippets. I've read a few reviews. I've heard, I've heard some first-hand it accounts. It wasn't great. That doesn't nah. mean that we hate him and we hate that everything that he's done in the history of forever. Yes. It just means that. If I went to the concert and paid money, I'd probably be wanting my money back. Well, some of the comments were pretty, uh, I, I mean, I was okay. I got thick skin, I think. <laughs> I think. They, I felt a little bit wounded. I had to rethink my hair care routine. Somebody said I was greasy. <laughs> I know Corey, but I don't know these two. Yeah. Not everyone can be an artist. However, anyone can be a critic. To which I'd argue anyone with money can do whatever they want. <laughs> Put it out there. Yeah. It's out there to be criticised. Oh, is the bro flake triggered? I got called a bro flake. I didn't even know that was a word. I learned I love something. that. A bro, bro flake. flake. I feel like it was wasted calling me a bro flake, though. I, think I you should just, have been crying to be called a bro I think flake. you needed, well, and triggered as well. I think you need to. Yeah. Now I'm triggered. And so you could probably call me a bro flake if you like. A little yeah. bit jealous? Uh, no, I'm not at all. He's doing what he loves. If you don't like it, don't listen to it. That's, that is amazing. Amazing advice. That is really good advice. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Very much so. Yeah. Being professional lampreys should slash has cauterized you against any observation. I don't even understand what that means. A lamprey is a fish that uh, is like a parasitic fish that sucks onto a bigger fish. Professional uh, parasites? I certainly don't want to suck onto Corey Feldman in any way, shape or form. Would have worked better, professional parasites. I think yeah, that's got I a think better so. Ring. I yeah. think, again, like I said, it's moral high ground. It's a way to uh, flex some intellectual superiority over us morons, which is fair enough. He's out having a good time. Take your 50 followers and try to have fun rather than poke shit. <laughs> well, actually, we're at 55 now. Yeah. Uh, and, like, I mean, you know, metaphorically, we were actually poking shit. So, you know, okay. Sure. And we were having fun. Yeah. Poking yeah. said shit. Yep. And this was my favourite. <laughs> Why are these two old women hating on Corey? Yep. He's not taking anything from them. Yeah. Yeah. No, he's not taking anything. <laughs> Except for time. He's taken a lot of time from us. He's still taking time from us. Now. Listen, mm, if mm. you want to take the moral high ground, it's very easy to do on social media mm. and make yourself look good without actually having to back it up. But what I'd like to see is these people maybe going out and shelling out for one of Corey Feldman's albums or tickets to his Turning actual show. Turning up to the concert and staying to the end. Yeah. Maybe well, backstage passes. If, if you can make it to the end. His, his album, his, like the vinyl box set, is $274. Wow. And the postage to Australia is $140. So my challenge to the critics of us criticising Corey Feldman is to put your money where your mouth is receipts. and show your support. Receipts. Receipts. Yeah. Receipts. I'll be taking receipts. <laughs> That's right. Now, if anyone wants to comment on that amazing recording play, I'm all ears. I reckon Feldman could Give do it better. Give me your feedback. He's a, he's a multi-instrumentalist. <laughs> oh, the one-man band. Yes, true, true. That's right. It's time for the, uh, <laughs> what do we even call this? Is the this... Hatch, Match and Dispatch Clue, I think, is where we landed last time. Right. Let's stick with that. Which celebrity who is having a birthday this week said this? There's some person and they know where you walk every single day and you go down this back alley and they say that they're going to jump on you and they're going to rip your cerebral cortex out of your head. Oh, that's uh 
Wow. Bit gruesome. Mm, Have a think about that one. We'll come back at the end of the show and reveal all. It's the news for the week commencing 26th of January 2003. And on the 30th of January 2003, Belgium legally recognises same-sex marriage. Good on you, Belgium. A bill for the legislation of same-sex marriage was passed by the Senate on the 28th of November 2002. It was then passed by the Chamber of Representatives on the 30th of January 2003, entered into force on the 1st of June 2003. In close to 80 countries, the relations are criminalised. And in a handful of countries, you still risk the death penalty for being gay. We cannot expect that deeply embedded attitudes, beliefs and traditions are overturned overnight. But we should expect that all states live up to the principles outlined in the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. I say this as a proud Prime Minister of a country where homosexuality was never figured in penal law. In 2003, Belgium legalized same-sex marriage as the second country in the world. And ever since, we've made progress in strengthening LGBTIQ rights. We've walked a long way in favor of dignity and respect for all. But as long as we see hatred and discrimination, we must speak out, take action and step up our efforts. For love has no gender. That was Alexander de Croo from the Open Flemish Liberals and Democrats Party addressing the United Nations. Mm, Belgium, as he mentioned, became the second country in the world to legalise same-sex marriage after the Netherlands. Mm. Of course it was the Dutchies that did it first. So European. <laughs> legalised in December 2000 over in the Netherlands. Belgium was closely followed by Ontario and Canada. Yep. It became legal nine days later, the 10th of June 2000. Well, came into effect nine days later, the 10th of June 2003, which is why you saw a lot of people from America who wanted to get married, go over to Canada. Do you remember that? Yeah, they're mm. taking trips abroad so yeah. that they could get hitched. Yeah. It was yeah. like Ontario was like the new Las Vegas for gay people. It was. Yeah. Today there are 33 countries where marriage between same-sex couples is legally performed and recognised, with the most recent being Mexico. And then on the 17th of February, so in a couple of weeks, it will also be legalised in Andorra. Oh, Hmm, 22 countries legalised it through legislation, including countries that legalised it through nationwide votes, which is what Australia did back in 2017. Yeah, Andorra sounded like uh, that planet on, on Avatar, but that's Pandora. And I just was picturing, <laughs> you know, same-sex Navi couples tying their ah. sexy braids together. Anyway. And then a further 11 countries legalised it nationally through court decisions, which I think is how um, Belgium did it uh, yes. 20 yes. years ago. Good on them. Mm. And I, I, I think it's a great thing. I loved it when they legalised same-sex marriage here. And I remember that Canberra was one of the first places to do it. So people were, were actually getting off the plane at the airport, getting yes. hitched at the airport, then getting back on the plane and leaving. Didn't want yeah. to stay in Canberra for too long. <laughs> and you had a lot of celebrants uh, specialising in same-sex weddings as yeah. well around that time. I was thinking about was going into business. So many weddings that, that occurred just after yeah, that. Yeah. And again, a lot of um, same-sex couples in Australia went overseas to get uh -huh. married. But am I correct in that it wasn't recognised? It wasn't recognised. They, they did it overseas, but it still wasn't recognised. Yeah, that's here right. That so we still needed mm. to obviously mm. 
make it legal in this country for it to be recognised. What I, I love about it, and I, I've, I've told this story before, I'm not sure if I've told it on the podcast, but I remember when we were getting married and we were trotting off to all these bridal expos and there was like, <laughs> you know, the free champagne and it's all the flowers and it's the DJs and it's the cars and it's the decorations and it's the tables and it's the invitations. And I was just The outfits, I, the I hair, there. the makeup, the photographers, the backdrops, the photo booths. And you I was just jump like, in the photo booth, have champagne. Mate, Amazing. Gay people will love this, particularly blokes. Gay blokes will love this and they are missing out and I don't think it's fair that they're missing out. Let's go to the 31st of January. This wasn't a very nice event, this one. The waterfall rail incident occurs near Waterfall in New South Wales in Australia. A Tangara train. Remember the Tangara trains? I do. Like the the new look electric trains in Sydney. Tangara train had come from Sydney Central Station, departs the Waterfall railway station heading towards Port Kembla Station via Wollongong and at around 7.15, the train driver suffers a heart attack and loses control of the train. It was travelling at 117 kilometres per hour as it approaches a corner that is designed for speeds no greater than 60 kilometres an hour. And, of course, it goes off the rails. Mm. It, 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 it crashes. The train crashes. Seven people were killed, including the driver, and a whole bunch of people were injured. Because of the remote site, emergency workers struggled to get the injured out. Survivors have described a chaotic scene with bodies thrown from the wreckage while some passengers remained trapped for hours. The 6.24 Tangara service left Central Station on time, headed south, bound for Port Kembla. One hour and seven minutes later, the four-carriage train lay stricken and derailed on Sydney's southern outskirts. The front of the train has collided with that wall in a heavy impact, and then the remaining carriages have been dragged alongside the actual sandstone wall. So these trains usually have a few fail-safes in place, like a dead man's break, which they did not apply, uh, and the guard also has access to an emergency break. However, when it went through the courts, according to the guard's solicitor, he was in a micro-sleep for around mm. 30 seconds. He just mm. wasn't paying attention. I mean, I don't know what he was doing. Micro-sleep, okay, sure, mm. whatever. Yeah, wasn't great. And another disaster a few days later on the 1st of February This was a biggie. Uh This is one I think that everybody remembers really clearly. Space Shuttle Columbia disintegrates during re-entry into the Earth's atmosphere, killing all seven astronauts on board. Mm. It was launched on the 16th of January 2003, so only a couple of weeks earlier, carrying the seven-member crew who were selected in July 2000. This was actually the first space shuttle to fly into space in 1981 Yep. And it had successfully completed 27 missions before the disaster. So was there a, a bit of wear and tear? Do you think do you would you remember where you were when you when you were watching it? I saw it I definitely remember watching it on the news. I saw it on the news, but yeah, I don't know I don't know if it was live or if it was a little bit later on. Mm. But yeah, during the launch, yeah. a piece of the insulative foam broke off the space shuttle external tank and then struck the tiles on the left wing of the shuttle. The mission and ground crew didn't notice it at the time. It wasn't discovered until they did this routine review of launch. So what they do a few days later is they go back and they review the launch and they were going through the footage and they saw it. And if you've seen the replays of it, it's once you're looking for it, it's very noticeable. You see this chunk 
actually fall off yep. and hit the wing and then then bounce so, off. So what happens is that compromises the integrity of the hull of the space shuttle. Yeah. And then as it's coming back in on re-entry, of course, because the hull's compromised, it breaks up. They've had this occur before during previous launches. Yep. It was apparently a foam problem that had been known for years. Yeah. And it caused damage previously, ranging from minor to near catastrophic, but never to the extent of losing a ship or the crew. Yeah. Any, never anything that serious. Yeah. A few people within NASA, once they saw that footage of takeoff, they really pushed to get pictures of the wing while they were out in orbit just to yeah, assess okay. the level of damage and make an informed decision. But that didn't occur. Uh-huh. I, I think the Department of Defence even offered some type of assistance to be able to take yeah. those photos. Yeah. But they weren't overly concerned because it was a known issue, like I said, hadn't caused too many problems in the past. So they didn't go to that that level. The crew, however, were sent a 15-second video of the strike, so the launch and when the debris fell off, to prepare them for press conferences Before afterwards. Before they come back down. Yeah, so that when oh. the press started asking them questions about it falling off, mm. they could go into those conferences having seen the footage Goodness and being me. able to talk through it. Yep. But then were reassured it's not an issue, yeah. just want to prepare you for the briefings, no safety concerns, all good. Yeah, yeah. So on the 1st of February, the shuttle made its usual landing approach to the Kennedy Space Centre just before 9am Eastern Standard. However, they got some abnormal readings. Temperature readings from the sensors located on the wing were lost. Yeah, because they were too hot. So they they cooked, they fried. Then tyre pressure readings from the left side of the shuttle also vanished. Because the tyres fried as well. Like basically the wing has melted off on Mm. re-entry, right? Yeah. Yeah, so the... The communicator called up to to Columbia to discuss the pressure readings and they called back but were cut off mid-sentence. So yeah. at that point they lost communication yep. with the shuttle. Yep. It was near Dallas, travelling 18 times the speed of sound, still around 200,000 feet above the ground. Yep. Mission Control made several attempts to get in touch with the astronauts with no success. 12 minutes later, when Columbia should have been making its final approach to the runway, a mission controller received a phone call. The caller said a television network was showing a video of the shuttle breaking up yeah, in the sky. Yeah, it, it, like, it looked like a, a meteorite. Yeah. Like it just it was just a fireball. The space shuttle Columbia was going over North Texas. You're looking at a live picture now of mission control. And this was the shuttle going over North Texas. At the time, it looked like a normal re-entry because the uh, – Shuttle would normally light up and re-entry because of the heat of the friction of the Earth's atmosphere. But then we began to see this. If you'll notice here, it looks like you can see pieces of the shuttle coming off. Pieces of the shuttle coming off. And NASA, we can confirm that the shuttle is behind schedule. It was to land in Florida. There you see what appears to be multiple pieces of the shuttle. We cannot confirm whether this is an indication that the shuttle broke up upon re-entry or not. Well, we can confirm right now that NASA has told us the shuttle was at an altitude of 200,000 feet, traveling at 12,000 miles an hour. When Mission Control confirms it lost contact, there's been no further communication with the shuttle Columbia since then. And there you can see numerous streams of what appear to be some kind of objects leaving some kind of trail over the skies of North Texas. 
Now, those objects were the pieces of the shuttle. Mm. It was basically the shuttle was mm. blowing up. And so, like I said, when they when that tile came off the shuttle and compromised the wing, um, as they were coming back into the atmosphere, all that hot gas from the, the atmosphere, you know how they burn up and they get really hot and they've got mm-hmm. all the scorch marks on them and stuff. It, it, we've all seen that stuff a, a thousand times and we've probably seen this footage quite a lot. So the, the heat shield, once it gets in there, like even the tiniest little crack, I guess, once it gets in there, it's just going to spread and blow the whole thing apart because of the pressure. And that just that's exactly what happened. Mm. That's exactly what happened. So they spent weeks, I remember, searching for mm. debris uh, and they, because they obviously wanted, you know, something to to bring back to the families of the crew, and it took, I think, it, like it was over, like over two thousand square miles, mm, mm. just in East Texas, and it took quite a few weeks. I, and I've seen the the photo where I, I can't remember where it was, but they had a big storage facility mm. where they laid out all the pieces, all the bits and pieces that yeah. they found. Yeah. And there was oh, there was so much, and it was they were so meticulous, and yeah. like I, 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 this is what I love about space travel and the brains behind it is they are they just they leave no st- it's well, I mean I say they're meticulous it's in hindsight like mm. obviously they're like oh yeah we saw this on the video but we think it's okay and we briefed them and they should be fine and obviously that wasn't the case but that's mm. the risk like you're rolling the dice mm. like there is such a thin veil between life and death I mean on this planet let mm. alone when you start to leave the planet like the the odds of you surviving obviously go down dramatically Mm. Um, but they, there was like 84,000 pieces. Jeez. Like it's, you know, it's the world's biggest jigsaw puzzle. Mm. And they, I think they, they picked up about, that was equated to about 40% mm. of the shuttle. And amongst that was the DNA of the crew. So they were actually able to identify because they found remains of the crew members via DNA. Obviously, there wasn't a lot left of them, you know, mm, um, mm. but they, they were able to. And they actually put out a report that detailed their last few minutes. And the astronauts, they reckon, survived the initial breakup. So they would have been terrified. Yeah. Um, but they lost consciousness in seconds as the cabin loses pressure because obviously all the, there's no oxygen in there and it's like bang and then they're out. So they probably would have lost consciousness before they died, which, mm. I mean, is a small mercy, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. And, that, I mean, because I, I can remember Challenger in 1986. I remember that one so much because of the hype leading up to it and yeah. the crew were on Sesame Street. That's, That's why right. I remember it yes. because Sesame Street interviewed yeah. them and there was so much hype. And I don't know if I was at school yet, but I know that we watched the launch, whether we watched that at school or whether I watched it at home. I'm not sure. But I do remember watching that go up and thinking, oh, they're those people from Sesame Street. And I don't think my parents told me till a few years later what had actually happened. I watched the launch of, of Challenger live as a kid and that was horrific. And it was very hard, I think, for a lot of parents to explain to their kids mm. what was happening. Yeah. But th- this is the, the thing with, with space travel. It's an accepted risk and the people that do it accept that risk Yeah. and we are very grateful for them to to do it. Like I, I think that space travel is amazing and mm. I think that we should continue to do more of it. And I'm so happy that there are privateers out there continuing to drive it because for a long time there, none of that stuff was happening. And then you've got your, your Elon Musk's and your Jeff Bezos's riding his giant dildo up into space. <laughs> you know, you've got that stuff happening. That is all good. And I think too, with the the 
fault that happened with this particular one. It's only a matter of time before I think they start to build spacecraft in space, which is very Star Trek. But if they do build spacecraft in space, all of a sudden all the costs of getting the because the most expensive part, like Elon Musk talked about this, you know how he's because like this time 20 years ago or last year, 20 years ago, so 21 years ago, he started SpaceX. And remember mm. he said the most expensive thing was actually getting them off the ground. The cost of that, and as yeah. once you're out in space, things become a little bit easier to sort of juggle. And so that's remember he did the deal with the Russians and he went and bought all the nukes <laughs> or the, the missiles yeah. that weren't armed um, yeah. to, to, to get the rockets happening. But, um, you know, that's it's only a matter of time before they do do that. And when they do do that, that's going to be amazing. I mean, I, I, there's talk of them putting man back on the moon again, which I think would be great. I feel like it has ramped up over the last few years because particularly after Columbia, I think they stopped space travel for a good few years yeah. after that. Yep. They didn't yep. do anything for, for some time. So I do feel like, it. yeah, that we're getting back into it and it's all getting very exciting it's again. fantastic. Mm. It gives us hope. Mm. It just to, to think that we could go beyond this vessel that we live on, this planet, yeah. and go and explore. I mean, that's that's what humans are all about. Like, you know, we've explored the entire world. Now what? Let's go into outer space. Mm. It's really exciting. And then if you're not good at science and you can't become an astronaut, there's always sport. There is. You can pick heavy things up and put them down again. You can chase balls around. You can, mm-hmm. you know, break boards with your forehead if you want. Why not? Yeah, yeah Sport. And the, the 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 biggest sporting event, well, according to the Americans, twenty sixth of January. I have a feeling you would have watched this one. I watch it every year. I take a day off work to watch the Super Bowl, and this was Super Bowl thirty seven, which was in San Diego in California, and it was between the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Oakland Raiders, and the uh, Buccaneers cleaned up forty eight points to twenty one. There it is. The daggers in. We're going to win the Super Bowl. It was boring as bad this game. That it is really was quite a big margin, yeah, isn't it? It was forty-eight to twenty-one, and yeah. it's just like the Buccaneers just rolled the Oakland Raiders, which is kind of sad because the Raiders were very much the underdog, and the Raiders fans are known for being quite fanatical. And the Buccaneers, the oh, Tampa they Bay would Buccaneers, have been you know they got a pirate ship in their stadium. Do they? With cannons and everything. That feels on brand. Fire the cannons of the yes. Buccaneers. Yeah. Very good. Yeah, yeah. There'd be a lot of <laughs> merchandise yeah, yeah. opportunities. Yeah, I'll tell you what, after they fire those cannons, your Buccaneers really hurt. <laughs> that was their first Super Bowl win too, wasn't it? I believe so. Yeah, and they I were a pretty think, new team at that stage. I think at that time too it was tied with another Super Bowl for the biggest margin yeah. in terms of how far oh, mate, they just, ahead they were. They wiped the floor with them. And, yeah. look, normally I, I hate it when Super Bowls are boring and they can be boring. The playoffs are always much more interesting in the NFL, I, I feel, in the lead-up to the Super Bowl because what you get is the best of both divisions. So you get two teams that haven't really met until mm. they get to the Super Bowl, so they don't really know what to expect. And it can it can be a good, nice, tight game, and a lot of them are, but then sometimes it can be a complete mismatch. 
I like it to be a big margin if it's my team that are winning. No, it's too stressful no, if it's close. I, I don't the, like it when it's close. I love the tension no, no. around American football. Can't I, it. I think that you can get some really good storylines over the course of a game because I mean it takes them like three hours to play, you know, one hour of football. <laughs> but uh, yeah, this one. And normally I'm not a fan of the halftime show either. But mm. when it, when they started to roll Oakland, I'm like, well, we've got to have something to look forward to. So it's the ads in the halftime show. <laughs> I do live for the ads. Um, um, but this one had a pretty good halftime show as well. Shania Twain, No Doubt and Sting, produced by Jimmy Oveen. Oh, he from um, Interscope Records, the, yes. the dude that the did the deal guy. with Dr. Dre and made they the made beats. billions of dollars. Yes, very interesting character. So you would expect big things if he's in you charge would. of the production. I thought No Doubt were fantastic. I thought Shania, a little bit lackluster. She's singing live there. That sounds very suspiciously similar to the uh, album version. There's, a, there's, a, there's definitely a backing tape. Mm. And, look, I mm. think a lot of the Super Bowl performances there is a backing is tape. Is that what you do, though? Yeah, I suppose. I mean, logistically, a football stadium is not the place to be doing – in the middle of the field not the best is acoustics. not the place to do a concert. Like, obviously, <laughs> when they set up for a concert in a stadium, you know – Stages at the back, speaker systems are configured, the PA is tuned and stuff like that. But that doesn't happen at a halftime show, mm. right? Like it's like they use the stadium PA. They might soup it up a little bit because those stadiums in America are like next level. They're crazy. Mm. But they have to bring them out on the field in seconds. Set it all up. Perform for 15 to 20 yes. minutes and then pack it back down and then start playing football again. So so it's it's not really built for, for that. So I do think that they, they more often than not use backing tracks, although I probably can't prove that and a lot of people will say that they are performing live. Mm. Um, I would even go so far as to say that they may record the rehearsal and use that as a backing track oh, on top yeah, of the backing yeah, track. possibly. But she's definitely karaokeing. Like I went back I and watched it. She was wearing a spectacular bedazzled bra. Yes. Her outfit, on point, and then she had this big trench coat, this big shiny The bedazzled bra was a bit of a thing back then, wasn't it? It, it certainly was. Crystals, perhaps. And our son started singing along, and I said, "How do you know this song?" And he goes, "Heard it on Woolworths Radio." Woolworths <laughs> 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 Radio comes through again. Well, yeah, I I much more enjoyed the No Doubt section of the performance. They, I, I'm fairly confident, and you'll hear it too, that they were playing live. <laughs> Definitely. You Definitely can you can like. hear that in, in her vocals. Yeah. And she's running around the stage. I think she's doing push-ups at the, one point. The band, so much energy. Uh, no doubt are awesome live. Mm. I, I, I wish they'd get back together. Um, the band were having the best time yes. too. <laughs> the, the, the band for No Doubt were having the best time and they were having an even better time when they were joined by this fella. Just like Sting comes out and mm. he, he's doing his old stuff, 
you know, mm. and it's awesome. And I think that No Doubt and the police, like No Doubt doing police covers would be great, yes. but then they get Sting up there as well. And it was awesome. It was, it was re- They were the highlight of the thing. Poor old Shania mm. was off the stage at this stage. It was She's, odd that she didn't come back yeah. on because don't they normally all get back on no, stage at the end well, when there's a few of them? It depends on who who does it and how it's done and yeah, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, I guess, you know, stuff, Jimmy's you know. rules. Yeah, uh, the halftime show is a big thing though. I don't know how they're going to top the halftime show this year. Oh, from, from last, last year. Because the Super Bowl is only in a couple of weeks. possible. Yeah, well, uh, is it Rihanna? Is Rihanna, yes. Doing the halftime there's, show. There's someone else I can't remember. Who on Sportsbet, you can actually gamble on what songs Rihanna is going to open with, what colour outfit she's going to wear. Oh, I reckon that's going to be neon. I'm going to go neon green. And I think she'll open with, what was that one that sampled that old song? What was her first really big hit? Was it Oh, Bondi? SOS. Yes, I think. Tainted pod- Love, didn't it sample Tainted Love? Yes, SOS, I reckon. Yeah. And I reckon she'll do that Pondy replay. That was her first big song. Right, was it? But I think SOS. And I think Umbrella. I think there'll be some fake rain. Yeah, there probably will so be some fake, fake rain. rain would be a good look for the fake halftime. Fake rain is always good. Mm. It's great to go back actually on YouTube and check out some of the best halftime shows. I think one of the best ones was Prince. Yeah. Prince was incredible. Yep. Um, and that's probably it. <laughs> Oh, Gaga. Gaga, Gaga. Gaga was, was great. Pretty good. They do. Oh, the, the, the weekend made me dizzy. That week, was too much. The weekend was terrible. That was so funny. Uh, the comments when the weekend did the Super Bowl <laughs> halftime show were like, I'm watching the Super Bowl f- uh, halftime show, and for the first time in my life, I can't wait for the weekend to end. <laughs> Yes. It was great. Poor the um, weekend. But this year, this year is big mm. because, and at the time of recording, my team are really in with a shot. The San Francisco 49ers have been playing so well and they are real contenders and I don't want to encourage gambling, but this is the first time I've put a really big bet on and I've put 100 bucks on the 49ers to win the Super Bowl this year. <laughs> Come on, Mama needs a new pair of shoes. Yes, and, and as a fail-safe, I did it with a multi, so Rihanna's got to open with – no, I didn't use a multi. <laughs> that would be ridiculous. But, yeah, go Niners. Music, Mel's favourite part of the show. Sure is. I'm, yes. a, I'm excited about music this week as well. Oh, you we'll should be. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Number one in Australia, this time 20 years ago, still Lose Yourself, Eminem. Yeah. And number one in the UK, still David Sneddon's Stop Living the Lie. He was on that. What was that one called? It was like a pop star show, but it was called something else oh, and they got like advice. Fa- Fantasy Island. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was the one where they gave them advice anyway. Didn't they all live in a house together or something? Yeah, there was live cam. Yeah. Yeah. You could watch it, it was streamed. Yeah. So like, David, David, I keep writing my name on the milk and David keeps drinking it. I'm going to write a song about that. Yes, Maybe. why not? Mm, okay. <laughs> the US top five sounded like this. Five.
a lot of movement in the top five, including three new entries. Yes. So let's recap. In mm-hmm. at number five, all I have, J-Lo. Yeah. Number four. That's a new one, is it not? It is a new one. Right. Number four, I'm with you, Avril Lavigne. Yes. Also a new one. Uh-huh. In at number three, Cry Little Sister by Corey Feldman. <laughs> no, it's not. Stop <laughs> no. it. And it's not by him anyway. He just covers it. <laughs> Cry Me a River. JT, Justin Timberlake. Which is what I want to say to all the Corey Feldman fans. <laughs> Cry me a river, snapperheads. Also a new one. Uh, this one entered the charts last week, but it's moved up quite a few spots. Beautiful Christina Aguilera, number two. Yep. Number one. I'm surprised by this. I didn't know this song went to number one. Bump, no. Bump, bump. Yeah, I don't think it'll stay there B2K. for very long. It'll Feet, be diddy. Bump, bump, bumped off the top spot and before you Marian. know it. Yes. So we don't have time to cover off all of the new entries. Some of them are going to stick around for a while. Well, so you can save it for a, a later we'll time. We'll save it, yes. yes. We'll okay. save some content. Sounds good. Let's, let's zero in on Avril Lavigne. I'm with you. I want you take me by the hand, take me somewhere new. I don't know who you are, but I, I'm with you. I'm with you. Oh, those lyrics, they appeared in so many people's AIM and ICQ messages. Remember really? how you could put like a little message status in your ICQ chat or right. your AIM chat? I think oh, in America yeah, it's yeah, AIM. Okay. Yeah. And there were so many that used to have, it's a damn cold night trying to figure out this life. And they'd be like uppercase and lowercase. It was such a vibe, 2003. <laughs> I, I think it's probably, I don't know who you are, but I'm with you. I just, you know, you don't know who they are, mm. but you're with them. Like, mm. that's problematic. I'd be trying <laughs> to figure out a little bit more about who they are yeah. before I decide to be with Some them. background checks, maybe a police be, report. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, a police report, exactly. Call Sting, yeah. get him out for the halftime show <laughs> and get him to give you a report. Yes, okay. Third single from her debut studio album, Let Go. She said it was inspired by feelings of loneliness that she experienced when she was single. Yeah. Number four is as high as it goes on the Billboard charts. Oh. It did reach top ten in nine other countries, though. Here in Australia, it was a big one on radio and, like, your TV hits. Avril so, was a big deal in Australia. There was a lot, yeah. Big it was deal. on a lot of clip shows, mm. but it was never officially released here, which is surprising. As a is that right? Yeah, because you heard it so much. You still do hear it's it. It's problematic. Maybe she was cancelled. I don't know who you are, but I'm with you. Oh, we can't put that out. <laughs> No, that just sends the wrong message entirely. That's that that just undoes all of that work that mm. we were doing with all those kids throughout years and years of school. Mm. Kenny Koala yes. would be rolling around in his little puppet bag. <laughs> Constable Kenny, he stranger walks. danger. No, yeah. I don't know who you are, but I'm with you. That sends the wrong message to the kids, <laughs> and we're not having it in Australia. We're having it as a single. Nope. It was nominated for ten awards. It won quite a few. I think it was nominated for a Grammy. Um, and she won quite a few Grammys around this time. She did. Yep. Music video clip was directed by David LaChapelle, who did Dirty by Christina Aguilera. Well, he's been busy, hasn't he? And do you remember the video clip? It was one where everything was moving um, really, I think it's sort of slow motion around her. Yeah. But she's singing in time with the song. Right. So they had to record the song. 
they had to play the song twice as fast while yeah. they were shooting the video clip and she had to sing it twice as fast to then slow it down to be standard pace while everyone else was in slow motion. Oh, mate, there's a filter for that on TikTok nowadays. I was going to say, yeah. you can do Don't that on the socials now. Yeah. Easy. Take yeah. you five minutes. I'd be annoyed if I was her. That would have taken yeah. a lot of effort. Well, I'd be annoyed if I was David LaChapelle. Le- Le- He's like, I did all oh, this work. No, he's edgy. I did edgy. all this work and now he's it's edgy. a bloody TikTok filter. Think, think you know, about dirty. This is the problem with this generation, you know. I don't know who you are, but I'm with you. They don't care about stranger danger <laughs> and they just think that everything can be solved with a TikTok filter and they all rush to the defence of Corey Feldman. <laughs> You've just summed up the problems with, with the world right there. All of them. That's why we need to go to space. Yes. Mm. Yes, why not? But I think I think it's interesting around David LaChapelle because there was a lot, and I don't, I don't know if it was ever true or if it was just hearsay or speculation, but they used to really pit Avril Lavigne as the anti-Britney, anti-Christina. Yeah, yeah. They used to always ask her questions about um, Christina and Britney and make it awkward and turn it into a thing. I don't think there was ever really beef Would between she them. Be interested? I like, don't think she cared, but no. the media really kind of went, yeah, you know, she's this skater chick, she's punk, she's not this pop princess. So there was that rivalry. Well, they're not gangster rappers. Quite. It's not like Irv Gotti, you know, <laughs> saying he's got a problem. It's not like Jerule 50 Cent. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, it's not It's not like you're going to be worried about, you know, shots fired between Britney Spears and Avril Lavigne's entourage at the Grammys. No, no, no. I think they were trying to create beef, but it's interesting that David LaChapelle directed those two videos, very, very different in style. And then Linda Perry, obviously, working across a couple of different pop stars with Pink and Christina, well, who mind. also allegedly had beef. Again, don't know if that's you know, true. And with David LaChapelle, you're not going to get gigs if your showreel is all just the same stuff. Yeah. So he's got to mix it up a little <laughs> yes, bit. Yes, that's we'll true. We'll put her in chaps in a boxing ring and we'll make her sing in slow motion or something. I don't know, but it will be different. <laughs> and so that's be the most great important. for the showreel. Yeah. <laughs> An album released this week 20 years ago that you would have been very excited it's, about. This is a bit indulgent, really, because it's a greatest hits album, so it's hardly an album release per se. But any time that we're given the opportunity to celebrate what I think is one of the most underrated bands and easily like up there with like the Led Zeppelins and Black Sabbaths for our generation, Mm. Faith No More released This Is It, the best of Faith No More with 19 of some of their greatest songs, although I don't know how you could just pick a 19 fantastic Faith No More songs Mm. when there are so many, from albums and singles that they released between 1985 and 1997. I think they may have been on a hiatus at this stage because the thing with Faith No More and the thing that makes them so great, I believe, is creative tension. They don't necessarily get along that well. Do they fight? Do oh, they B two K it up? Yeah, they don't. They don't get on well. How at are the Marion of, of them? But I think it's it's it, it all comes from a good place. It's like the greater good. It's creativity. Mm. Mm. This one had four rarities, and, and the then out of print cut, the perfect crime from the soundtrack to the movie Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. So oh. always good to get a song that you maybe haven't heard or haven't gotten hold of before. It is one of the. There is actually a few Greatest Hits Faith No More compilations, but this one is notable for being one of the only among numerous to include material directly from their independently released album, We Care A Lot, which had Chuck Mosley on it. So this was before Mike Patton even joined the band. And and We Care A Lot is a great album too. That's very interesting and very eclectic, and it was sort of starting – their sound was starting to shape into what it is now. You, Courtney Love – 
sung for Faith No More for a while. Did she? Yeah. You can go online, you can find some really rare footage and maybe a bootleg of Courtney Love singing live with Faith No More, and they are a very different band back then. Mm. But they still had Billy Gould, the bass player, and I believe um, Puffy, the drummer, playing for them, Mike Borden. Uh, yeah, but um, this this also this album also covered like the whole gamut of material across the course of their career at the time. So it was a nice retrospective. Mm. It started out with like some songs from We Care a Lot, like Arabian Disco and We Care a Lot, and Annie Song, and Introduce Yourself from the album Introduce Yourself, and then it gets into some of the bigger stuff with like From Out of Nowhere. Great. And mm. then this one, which really, this is the groundbreaking one for them. I remember sitting at home watching Rage mm-hmm. and this came on and it was a hand with an eye in the middle of it yes. and a paint splash and I was like, what's going on yep. here? And then the song kicks in and it's... And it was so heavy. It was, and he was rapping, and then they had these thrashy guitars, yeah. And then there was the piano at the end, that beautiful piano yeah. piece with, and they had the footage of the fish dying, like the That's, goldfish flopping around, which they would yeah. never be allowed to do today, because like no. Peter and everyone would be out to get <laughs> be them. outraged. That poor fish is suffocating, and you're just filming it. You know, I studied for my year twelve exams to that song, and then I tried to get it back into my head to help me recall the answers. Did it no, work? No, no, no. I don't know that it worked, well, but you I was—I had the song in my head throughout the exam, so it yeah. was a good time. That was a yeah. great song. Yeah. And then there was this one was your favourite one, right? Yes. A favourite. That one was up there because I won in Smash Hits. I won uh, a couple of videos, Project X, and I won 1991 The Gun Hits, which Dad has just returned to me actually today. And the video clip for Falling to Pieces was on 1991 The Gun Hits. So we sit down to watch 1991 The Gun Hits as a family to celebrate (laughs) my win. watch all the music videos. celebrate my win in Smash Hits. Congratulations, you prize pig. Yes, yes. And then that video clip comes on. So you can imagine. Imagine my parents. I think my grandma was there as well. What is this you rubbish? You could imagine they the would reaction. Have been I think we had to turn it off from memory. Um, so I was only allowed to play it when they weren't around. Because they were dressed up in surgical gowns. And he's like wiping bits. He's like wiping blood on the walls. Yeah, and yeah. they were op- were they operating on someone and pulling things out yeah, of them? And he was and swinging a baseball bat around. Yeah, and, yeah it was yeah. a good time. It was a great time. <laughs> it was the vibe, as the, all the cool kids it, say. But yeah, I, I think it's really hard to pick a favorite. I also really loved Easy. Yeah, the, the, the Lionel Richie cover evidence. Yeah. When they do the croony stuff, it's really great too. And they this like the, the, that are all those songs were from the album "The Real Thing," mm. which is the one that really broke them. And that was when Mike Patton had joined the band and and got to really showcase some of his vocal talents. But he gets more involved in the songwriting further down the track, which is 
the band are so much better for it. He mm. is, I think, one of the greatest vocalists of not only our generation, mm. but maybe all time. Like he's so versatile. Yeah. His range is incredible. He's experimental. He'll do things like like if you look at some of his other projects like Phantomers or um, Mr. Bungle where he'll actually just kind of make noise. Like mm. he, he can be very percussive with the way he, he does his vocals and he'll use his breathing, for example, to, to make music and he'll mess around with effects and do all sorts of stuff. But in Faith No More he was very much um, just – so good, and I've seen them live so many. I was going to say also amazing live. Yeah, it's not, it's not often you have someone that is just so. I guess someone who just brings so much to the albums, but then can back it up and do it all live. And he's just incredible put on an amazing as show. a vocalist live, but he's also very dangerous. I saw them at the Horton Pavilion and got to crowd surf during Epic, which was pretty great. Um, <laughs> that that would have been amazing. Yeah, back when I, you know, could actually be hoisted up. If people try, if I tried to crowd surf now, there'd be people would get injured. They'd do their backs in and they'd have hurt. You'd have to wear your comfortable undies um, as well. You wouldn't want a wedgie. So, so that album, the real thing was when Patton joins the band. Then Angel Dust comes out, and Angel Dust is one of my favorite albums of all time. It's got some really interesting songs, and the subject matter is quite confronting. Particularly if you look at a song like Be Aggressive. Mm. Uh, which is awesome, Midlife Crisis. Just the lyrical content is really – and the other thing is that's when um, Jim Martin, the guitar player, who was really good friends with Cliff Burton from Metallica, left Faith No More. And, and we're like, oh, God, Jim Martin's leaving Faith No More because he was the metalhead guy. Mm. And, and the, the, the point of difference with Faith No More is that they had this keyboard player you know, they had Roddy Bottom on the keyboards and the keyboards were really present. And that sort of influenced a whole bunch of – I remember a lot of local bands that had keyboard players at the time that were very heavily influenced by Faith No More. Faith No More could – like Rage Against the Machine take a lot of responsibility for new metal and I mm. wholeheartedly disagree with that. I think it started with Faith No More, mm. you know. I mean, you could talk about rap and rock crossovers and maybe it started with Run DMC and Aerosmith, but this is where it really started to get experimental and Faith No More would probably be mortified if they heard that somebody made them responsible for new metal because they'd be like, <laughs> don't ever say that again. But Roddy Bottom, the keyboard player, was really interesting as well. He And he was he was openly gay. I remember that very clearly, that Roddy Bottom was openly gay and he'd talk about it in interviews and stuff like that. He has another side project that's really campy called Imperial Teen. Um, and and I can remember thinking, oh, my God, like this, they're just really divisive. Remember the film clip for Easy where they had all the drag queens in it? Oh, yes. Yeah. Like that's they, right. They just really liked to push the boundaries. And at a time when no one else was really doing it either. No. Yeah. But both musically and just with the whole – because they didn't really – Well, there was no gimmick to them. They were just a very eclectic bunch of Mm. people that had come together to make music. And like I said, there was a lot of creative conflict. But they just – they seemed to get better and better with age, I think, like a fine wine. And I loved seeing them live – Back then, I loved seeing them live when they came out as part of Soundwave, even though it was the most hot, exhausting day ever. But it was and just that were the last them. act as well. Remember they covered the Bee Gees. I started a joke, which yeah. was just fantastic. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, I, I'm raving about Faith No More, and so I should. If you mm. have not heard them in a while, mate, crack it open. <laughs> It's yes. so good. Fire up the barbecue, get some beers and play it on the stereo at the backyard. You'll have a wonderful time. 
Yes, well, I found a mixtape from 1994. I don't have the cover for it, but I am sure that there are some Faith No More songs on there. So as soon as I get a cassette player. On one of your mixtapes? One of my mixtapes, yes, because I lent it to someone called Alex and she gave me crap going, I can't believe that you have Faith No More and Peter Andre on the same cassette. I don't know that you're going to need – you're going to need probably an archaeologist more than a cassette player (laughs) because those tapes, much like you and I, are old and corroded. We've reached the entertainment section, although it's all been very entertaining, I'm sure, unless you're a Feldman fan. <laughs> Always. Eminem, top of the music charts in Australia, also top of the box office. Right. Uh, eight Miles, still number one here in Australia this time 20 years Everyone's ago. Everyone's had enough of Lord of the Rings and they're off to see Eminem in Eight Mile. Yes. Uh, new number one in uh, the US, Darkness Falls. Ah, supernatural horror film. Over 150 years ago, in the town of Darkness Falls, Matilda Dixon was adored by all the children. Whenever one of them lost a tooth, they would bring it to her in exchange for a gold coin, earning her the name, the Tooth Fairy. But when two children didn't come home, they blamed Matilda and they hanged her in the light. Now, they thought the past was dead and buried, but it's about to come back with a vengeance. You don't know what you're dealing with. Yes, Darkness Falls, the supernatural horror film written by Joe Harris, James Vanderbilt and John Fasano and directed by Jonathan Liebsman in his feature directorial debut. Did you watch this one? Uh, I, th- I think so. I, I, it was pretty forgettable. I was going to say that uh, makes it sound like it wasn't that great. Yeah, Matilda <laughs> just wasn't. I mean, who names a town Darkness, Darkness Falls? Darkness Falls. Like, That's come a bit on, cliche. guys. I keep thinking of the Kill Switch Engage song. Oh, when Darkness yes. Falls. Great song. It's in my head now. That's awesome. Um, it does star an Australian, Sullivan Stapleton from yeah. The Secret Life of Us and brother of uh, Jacinta who was in Neighbours. Jacinta Stapleton, mm. yes, mm. from Neighbours. Yeah, look, so the, the, the movie is about a guy called Kyle who sees his mother's murder at the hands of a vengeful spirit that is lynched by an angry mob more than 100 – well, the spirit this, – the vengeful spirit was someone who was lynched by an mm. angry mob mm. more than 150 years ago. Twelve years later, he comes home. He returns to Darkness Falls <laughs> because his girlfriend's young brother is being stalked by this same vengeful spirit, oh, right? Dear. And he's got to protect him and put an end to its killing spree. It was garbage. It was reasonably successful at the box office until people figured out – that it was crap, and then it was panned. Like they said, the the plot was really derivative. Nine percent from critics. Oh god! But the audience a little Single bit more digits. forgiving. Yeah, audience a bit more forgiving because people tend to be forgiving. Moral high ground, you see. Thirty four percent from the audience. Corey Feldman yeah. fans yeah. Yeah. clearly. <laughs> Over to movie news now. Uh-huh. Kind of movie news, kind of TV news. Mm. The Elson twins, Mary Kate and Ashley. Oh, Mary Kate, the Gelflings. <laughs> they inked a deal. Oh, I've got to be careful. Everyone's just going to come after me all the time. Yeah. Like, who are you, mate? Maybe Look that could be you. your New Year's resolution to be a bit nicer to celebrities. No, nah, nah, it's too far gone. No? Okay. We're already at 26th of January. It's no time for <laughs> resolutions now. <laughs> they inked a deal with Coty to create a pair of fragrances. Not one, but two. Two fragrances. Mary Kate and Ashley, one. 
and Mary-Kate and Ashley too Two. made their right. debut at Walmart stores in early April 2003. So they signed the deal this time 20 years ago and then they hit the shelves a couple of months Only at later. Walmart? Was it an it's exclusive? It's the exclusive home wow. to all things Mary-Kate and Ashley apart from the music, apart from the videos. Right. But it does include the home decor, the clothing. The clothing was massive, the Mary-Kate yeah. and Ashley yeah. clothing range. I think either Kmart or Target here in Australia. Had the Mary-Kate and Ashley it. also. Yeah, one of the two. Yep. Cosmetics, small appliances. What small, small appliance would you associate with the Olsons? What, like a, a Mary-Kate and Ashley bullet tender? Yeah, a Mary-Kate and Ashley toaster. Poffages really? maker? A poffages maker. Dutch pancakes. You That's a small appliance. Dutch pancakes. Yeah, well. Unless they mean small appliances like uh, hair ha- curling ha- well, irons I was going to say hair crimpers. removal, like an epilady or something <laughs> like that. Yeah. Mary-Kate and Ashley hair, hair removal. removal. Yeah. Mm, could be. I think maybe maybe it was hair, like hair curlers hair and stuff. Hair curlers. Mm. Yeah. But I look, I'd buy a Mary-Kate and Ashley toaster. If it, maybe it could, like, toast their pitcher into oh, your Oh, like toast. the Hello Kitty toaster. Yes. Yeah, that's interesting. I'd do that. Yeah. So who are they, what are these, so who's the perfect, like, their audience is kids. Yeah. So they're making perfume for kids. Well, they're kind of tweens at this point. Right. And Cody uh, brought out Glow by j I, I think it's good. I think that they do, because kids stink. Especially when they're getting into that teen market yeah. where they, they, they sort of they're starting to grow body hair but they haven't really discovered deodorant and you get yeah. that moment in time where just like it, from like, I don't know, maybe 11 and a half well, to about 14. Well, you use your parents' 14, deodorant and it just doesn't cut it when you're a teenager. Stink. I used mum roll-on, mum yeah. and dad's mum roll-on. You probably should have used your dad's. Well, that was my dad's. My mum and dad both used mum. It was oh, very confusing. Their forces combined. That is confusing. They both used mum roll-on. I was very confused. Yeah. And so, yeah, it didn't really cut it. So I think, yeah, I think this is a good fit. Yeah. So I didn't ever have it. I've never smelt it. Right. But there's reviews. Is Would it? you like to hear I'd some reviews? I'd love to hear some reviews okay. of Mary-Kate and Ashley's scents. So we'll start with Mary-Kate and Ashley 1. Okay. Black Lace said it has very boring and mediocre vibes to it. Black Lace. So that name doesn't sound appealing to tweens. Black Lace. Black Lace. Okay. Don't know. They thought it was boring and mediocre. Wasn't that the band that sang Agadoo? Was that Black Lace? Uh, I know the song. Do, do, but I don't know. Do. Anyway. I've never had to realise who sang it. Yeah. Um, Jan Law. At a point in my life, I was a diehard Olsen fan and had all their products. Now I find them really weird and praying for their comeback. At another point, I found this one-dimensional perfume the best on the market. Today, I realise it pronounces my B.O. when it festers on me too long. (laughs) Those were the days. So it didn't solve that problem in the market. It makes B.O. worse. It could have, but obviously something with the ingredients has triggered that woman's B.O. and made it worse. Well, let's move on to two. Maybe two did a bit better in the B.O. department. Insipid Night said, when it's first sprayed, it smells like Lysol. (laughs) But then it dries down to a pleasant citrus freesia scent. Lemon on the piano, this smells like pee to me. I don't oh. know why, because I usually love musky scents, but this looked and smelled like pee. I tried it on at Walmart and had to go home and bathe. One is much better. Wow. B.O. or pee, pee. take your pick. Sweat or piddle. <laughs> Both bodily fluids. Maybe that's how they captured it. Who knows? Mary-Kate, Ashley, if you could just pee into this. <laughs> Yeah. Neither of them are on the market anymore, but there are some other Mary Kate. They put them on a treadmill and then they had like a little catchment oh. thing underneath. Oh. Maybe. <laughs> wow. 
Let's go to TV news. A uh, big name in TV makes his debut. He premieres with his live show, Jimmy Kimmel, late night talk show created and hosted by Jimmy Kimmel. Premieres on January 26th as part of the ABC, not the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, <laughs> no. ABC in the States lead out of the Super Bowl. And you can bet your bottom dollar they spent a little bit of money on some advertising for it. My name is Jimmy Kimmel. I'm doing a show live right here in Hollywood. It starts with Super Bowl Sunday. Would you guys mind laying on the bed for one second? Imagine I'm on your television. Tonight's guest, Corbin Burnson. You see how much fun that'll be? All right, now do whatever. Get naked, whatever you guys want to do. I'm not going to look. Jimmy Kimmel Live, breaking into late night after the Super Bowl. Talk show without guests. Well, it looks like I might find out. See if Jimmy actually gets any guests on the premiere of Jimmy Kimmel Live, ABC Super Bowl Sunday. Ooh, how edgy. No guests. Yeah. Uh, he gets the better. Uh, he, oh, man, he gets better. Look at look at him now. He's, you know, a juggernaut. He is, yeah. He's, he's clips of the... all his stuff with his guests all over the internet. Oh, isn't there? Yes. Yep. He started out in radio. I he didn't did. know this. He was he's, a jock. Yep. At his college radio station, yep. then moved into commercial radio, got fired, as you do, moved around to lots that's a, of different. That's an expected thing in radio, isn't it? Lots you of different just... stations. Uh, See, so he was being interviewed about it, and I think one of the times he got fired, he was reading out, I don't personal emails about his program directors. Very, he seemed very Howard Stern and I think Howard Stern was one of his idols was growing he? up. Yeah. So he did sort of take that kind of approach. He was working in California. He hired Carson Daly as his intern. Really? They worked together in California on air. Yep. God. Eventually went to work at a station in LA as the sports guy for a morning show, which is where he met Adam Carolla. Well, Adam Carolla, because they, they did the man show after that, didn't they? After that, yes. Well, they invented the man show, yes. didn't they? They were the inventors of the man show, which is a great show. They co-hosted and co- co-produced it. I Hasn't think, aged then... well, the man show. No. Some of Kimmel's comedy bits have come back to bite him over the years as well, especially some of the stuff he did where he was in blackface. Oh, um, that's but right, Adam yes. Carolla is has gone back. He's still doing radio and he's got the yes. head for it. I mean, you know, I'm no oil <laughs> painting either. I've got oh you've got a good face for radio. <laughs> I haven't heard that joke before. Anyway. <laughs> Jimmy Kimmel also did Crank Yankers. He produced that one, you know, with uh, the yep. puppets. Yep. In 2018, Time named him one of the world's 100 most influential people. Is that right? And he holds the title as the longest-running late-night talk show on the network. Well, it's 20 years now. Yeah, there'll be big celebrations for him this year. And I think he's the second longgest-running late-night host, given that, you know, uh, Leno, Leno Letterman have moved on, John Stewart, Conan O'Brien. I think he's second to Bill. Oh, Bill Bill Maher. Yeah. Yeah, he does real time. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So – He's actually, and he's going to keep going. He signed a, a massive three-year contract, I think, last year, just mm-hmm. late last year, that he's going to continue as a host and the executive producer of the show. So if it's not broke, don't fix it. Mm. He's going to be there for a while. And he's not going to be broke either, I dare say, after signing that deal. Yeah. And is he the one that does the Matt Damon joke where he always yes. goes, oh, we're going to have Matt Damon on, but we ran out of time. He's and got the running rivalry long- with Matt yeah, Damon. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so edgy. <laughs> And he cries. He always cries. When he something bad happens in the States, he'll, he'll cry on TV. Look, I think he's – I actually think he's quite sincere. It's interesting to watch him going from the girls bouncing on trampolines to crying over a lot of different things, yeah. though. It's quite it, the contrast. It is. But people are allowed to grow up, and he That's has. True. Yes. He's definitely grown up. Mm-hmm. I find that he puts a lot more politics into his stuff 
Mm. Out of all the the, the TV, more so than Fallon. Yeah. yeah, I think so. Fallon's very neutral and and very vanilla, whereas Kimmel is is definitely a bit more left leaning and woke. Yeah, that's yeah. true. And um and I think I don't know. Well, his ratings clearly don't suffer for it, and I think mm. it's the guests that they. It's always the guests that pull these people through, you know. Um, and the social media presence. He was the one that started that mean tweets thing where the celebrities came yeah, on and made the mean tweets. Yeah, well, and then an there was the yep. Jimmy made me eat all your Easter eggs where they filmed that with the oh, kids and that was cry. Right. They were great stunts. Yeah. That's very radio though, I think yeah, too. You know, yeah, that's where he's taken a lot of that radio. But moving it into social media and getting yeah. that user-generated content. Yeah, yeah. Which, is, which is pretty clever. Well, yeah, good on is. him. 20 years. He, I, you know, Congrats. He's going to be at least doing it for 23. Yes. Yeah, congratulations, Jimmy if you're listening. (laughs) (laughs) On the 30th of January 2003, the oldies were up in arms. Crime drama series Columbo ended. Oh, dear. Peter Falk, the the detective that everyone loved. Yes. Yeah. With his rumpled. With his raincoat and his cigar and that crappy old car and the chili. He liked chili, didn't he? Is it chili con carne or chili con carne? Uh, Look, I I thought crepes were crepes. I thought crepes, (laughs) I mean, I thought crepes were crepes. Yeah. So don't ask me. Yeah, yeah. I got schooled by Kobe Bryant's daughter (laughs) in the last one. Lieutenant Colombo, LAPD. Peter Falk takes a walk on the wild side. This is a romantic situation. Sex in the air. Dabney Coleman guest stars in an all-new movie special, Columbo and the Murder of a Rock Star, Monday. So that Ooh. show was big in the 70s. That aired from 1971 to 1978, and then it became less frequent. So from 1989 to 2003, when it wraps up, um, it was it was still doing sporadic things. Like I don't know if they were one-off episodes. I used to watch it. It was on the TV. If it was on the TV, I'd watch it. But I, I couldn't say that I was a diehard Columbo fan. I liked the character. I thought the character was cool. Is that the show where you kn- you know who done it at the start? You see who's done it, but then you watch him solve it. I think the audience knows the answer. Yeah, and then you watch him work or, or it out. Is it the is one, that one? Or is it the one where at the end all the group is sitting around and then they take the mask off the person <laughs> and he goes, "I would have got away with it too if it wasn't for you meddling kids." And a dog goes, "Rice what, Shaggy?" Is it that one? <laughs> no, it's not okay, that cool. one. Hey, it's won lots of awards. It brought, yeah, broadcast in 44 countries, 13 Emmys, two Golden Globes, two Edgar Awards, TV Land nomination. There's also a statue of Peter Falk. Well, Peter Columbo. Falk as Columbo. As, there's a statue there's of a Columbo, statue not of, Peter Falk, Columbo. There's a statue of Columbo in Budapest. Yeah. The mayor of the city at the time felt that he may have been related to the Hungarian writer and politician Mixer folk, although there's no evidence to support it. But just just based on a hunch, which is what Columbo used to do, based, based on, a, on hunch, a hunch, they erected a statue in his honour, just in case. A statue of Columbo, but Peter, but because Peter Falk may have been related, but not sure, to, to a Hungarian why writer. Why didn't they just erect a statue of the Hungarian writer? Mixer That's a good folk. point. No, it was uh, Columbo and he had the trench coat. I think there was a dog. Did he have a dog in the show? I don't know. There was a dog statue near him as no. well. I saw a picture of a statue. I don't think Columbo had a dog. Well, there was a dog, there was yeah, a dog yeah, in the no, statue. No, he did. And when he took the mask off, then the dog would say, <laughs> Rose up, Jaggy. <laughs> oh, yeah. While we're on a roll, let's talk about books. I have missed have this you? segment. Oh, good. It's okay. nice to see outrage directed at someone else. Mm. For a change, mm. instead of us. Yeah, this is where it's some, fun to read the comments, right? Some comments about a book instead yeah. of uh, two old women hating on Corey. 
<laughs> Shut up, Mavis. Um, I, uh, I often see these guys' books in the bookstore oh, and based on the titles I overlook them all the time. I just, I, I'm not interested in Robert Jordan and I certainly, the title Crossroads of Twilight does not appeal to me at all. No. But we probably need some ambient music for this one. Well, that sounds yeah. good. Good fit, like yes. Yeah. Yeah. What's it about? Well, this is the tenth book in the Wheel of Time series. So if you haven't, Wheel you, of Time, you're not going to start with this one. Um, you're going to go. You're going to have to go back ten books. It's too much. I can't do it. I'm not going there. It's a big like, Wheel of Time. Maybe if they bring it out as a TV series and it's good, maybe. Mm. So the world and characters in this Wheel of Time series stand at a crossroads of Twilight, perhaps? I don't know. And the world approaches Twilight when the power of the shadow grows stronger. <laughs> right, from Shaggy. Um, fleeing from Ibu Dar with the kidnapped daughter of the Nine Moons, like you're losing me, who he is fated to marry. Matt Cawthon, that's Matt with one T. Cawthon <laughs> as in be careful. Cawthon. Um, learns that he can neither keep nor let her go, not in safety for either of them, for both the shadow and the might of the Sean Chan Empire. Sean Chan uh, in Deadly Pursuit. They're chasing them. The Sean, they're being chased by the Sean Chan Empire. They're chasing the daughter of the Nine Moons. Yeah, how good are okay. my pronunciations with this as well? Get Amazing. this one. Perrin Ibarra seeks yes. to free his wife, Fail, a captive of the Shido. But his only hope may be an alliance with the enemy. The friend of my enemy is my enemy's friend, and I'm friends with the Chido. Chido. Chido, you were my friend. That's a Neil Diamond song. Oh, that's Shiloh. Can he remain true to his friend Rand? Rand? Hey, Rand. And to himself, for his love of fail, Perrin is willing to sell his soul. At Tarvalon, Egwene Alvia. The young Amarillan of the rebel Ace Sedai. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Lay siege to the heart of Ace Sedai power, but she must win quickly with as little bloodshed as possible, for unless the Ace Sedai are reunited, only the male Asha Man, or Asha Man, depending on what continent you're from, <laughs> will remain to defend the world against the Dark One. And nothing can hold the Asher Man themselves back from total power except the Ace Sedai and a unified White Tower. Wow. Because <laughs> if you're going to have a White Tower, let's make sure it's unified. You don't yes. want to have two White Towers, just one White Tower to rule them all. Mm. In Andor, Elaine Trackland <laughs> fights for the Lion Throne that is hers by right, but enemies and dark fiends, or dark friends, sorry, surround her, plotting her destruction. If she fails, Andor may fall to the shadow and the dragon reborn with it. This guy has just, like, thrown every fantasy trope at the wall and it's all stuck, so he's like, I'm going to put this in ten books, probably more. I feel like you've read ten books already. Rand, to us. Rand Althor, the dragon reborn himself, has cleansed the dark ones. Taint. Oh, and you really do have to make sure your taint is clean. <laughs> because if your taint's not clean, that's where that BO can come from you need as well. Mary You'd Kate probably and get Ashley one. Cleanse mm. cleanse your taint and then get some of that Mary Kate and Ashley perfume in there. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, he's he's cleansed the dark one's taint from the male half of the true source, and everything has changed. Yet nothing has. For only men who can channel believe that Sidon is clean again, and a man who can channel is still hated and feared, even one prophesies to save the world. Now Rand must gamble again, he's going to go and put a lazy tenor on Sportsbet and hope that Rihanna yeah. opens with SOS. Neon green. Yeah. Neon green, Rand. Yeah. With himself at stake, and he cannot be sure 
which of his allies are really enemies. I have no idea what you just said. Yeah, I, I'm not sure what I just said, but it was good. It was, yeah. I, it was, I said it very it was dramatic. well. Yeah, Robert Jordan should hire me to do all his publicity and recorded synopsises. Synopses, especially with the pronunciations like Egwene Alvear, the young Amarillan. Yeah, maybe you Uh, could do the audio book version. Well, there's there's a review here, and I'll I'll hand over to you, but this is by a South... I think this guy would be South African because his name is Likis Akaraju. He gave it one star, but in text he gave it minus five out of five over you. Yes, you can't give minus stars on the Goodreads, so he just sneakily wrote it in in the text. Right. Reading this book was about as pleasant as pulling out my own teeth. (laughs) I would have enjoyed watching my worst enemy burn all my most valued possessions in front of me more. Wow. I cannot fathom what it was like to wait over two years for a book and get a pile of steaming donkey s*** instead. See, he is South African. I think he'd say say like this. I cannot fathom what it was like to wait over two years for a book and get a pile of steaming donkey s*** instead. Mmm. Yeah. Yes. It hurts my head thinking about all the people who have up at their jobs for this book to have been published. I literally cannot comprehend how a book can be 700 pages long. 700 pages! Yeah. And it's the 10th one. Yeah. And have exactly nothing happen. Yeah. I really did not enjoy the last book and I liked this book oh, even well, less. Like, why did you go back if at you least, didn't enjoy the last one? At least this marks the end of the godforsaken slog and hopefully the series will come back to form with Knife of Dreams. He's coming back for more. Yeah, yeah. We'll be taking a break from this series so I can talk to my therapist first. I however. can see the dilemma. Like it's 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 like book ten in a series. You've, yeah, you've come this far. Do you? Right? Yeah, you and don't want to give up. It's all good. Mm, it's it's been all good up until the last two books. Yeah. So books like nine and ten. Seven hundred pages yeah. with nothing happened. That was like your synopsis. Seven hundred pages ain't much. That That's felt fine. like seven hundred like pages. Nothing you know? happening. Yeah, but like you know, what do you do now? You're at a turning point. You got to you got to double down. Like yeah. and 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 go. You've well, come too far. You've got to go for the next book, right? Yeah. Oh, hang on, the because music stopped. Here we go. What else we got? Ari, one star. Everything other than the, what's that? Eggwing tar. Ah, the Eggwing tar Valon plotline could have been an email. (laughs) Good one, Ari. Some common sense. I like Rizzo. One star. Scooping my own eyeballs out with a dull spoon would have been more enjoyable. I'm with her. Like, I, I just, after reading that synopsis, I want to scoop my eyeballs out as well. So she's scooping out her eyeballs, and Vickers is getting someone to burn all his valued possessions. Well, in and front he's of going him. to therapy. Vickers is going to therapy. Yeah. Wow. Who else we got? So many emotions. Anna, one star. I could not help but empathize with the. Israelites of the Old Testament. She's just getting biblical. As they slogged along in the desert, each day seeming pointless and eternal. This book was the absolute desert. And I, like them, I have no doubts, I asked myself why. Why am I continuing to read this series where nothing happened in the last great three question. books? Three books. Nothing wow. in the last three Let's be honest, there should have been a ruthless editor's edition where all the wandering in the desert is mostly cut out. That edition might be the next great rediscovery for new readers. Mm. But like the Israelites who pressed on, knowing that in the end there would be the land of milk and honey, I know that Brandon Sanderson, one of my favourite authors, is waiting for me. I've been told it's worth it. I have hope and so I press on. 
Yes. Brandon Sanderson. It wasn't by it's Brandon Jordan, Sanderson. Jordan, it's whatever his Robert name. Robert Jordan. Jordan. Mm, interesting. Are you sure What's that's the right on? review? Maybe Anna put her review in the wrong spot. I think she might have. <laughs> and she's compared her plight to that of the Israelites, which is a little bit dramatic. That is, yeah, it's a little bit. I'd OTT. like to see the Ruthless Editor's Edition of the Bible. That'd be good. Oh, yes. Yeah, yes. yeah that'd be really good. Instead of the Ten Commandments, maybe we could just have one. Yes. Thou shalt not kill. Great. Yeah. Otherwise, fill your boots. Knock yourselves out. John Patrick Stolter gave it one out of five and called it a crime against art. How do I give negative stars? Seriously, I would rather have read the phone book, so this one was actually less than worthless to me. It bored me even more at 28 than Laura Ingalls Wilder did when I was eight. <laughs> Who's Laura Ingalls Wilder? I don't know, but he doesn't like her. She <laughs> he found her very boring. And finally, Joan M, one star. Did not order this. That's <laughs> what she didn't order the book at no, all, or no, that wasn't didn't, what didn't she ordered. Order this. <laughs> oh. That's enough literature. Who was let's oh, well let's read a birth certificate. Who was born this time twenty years ago? Twenty sixth of January two thousand and three. Sapphire, singer songwriter from London, was born. Right. She was on... Sapphire. Yes, with two Ps. She's named after a stone. Does the, does the stone have two Ps? It looks wrong with two Ps. No, I'm pretty sure it's got two Ps. Oh, okay. Yeah. It looks a bit wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. She first gained a following as a singer when she won Kids Got Talent in uh-huh. 2012. Yep. She was a grand finalist on Open Mic UK 2014. She's doing a circuit. She was the winner of the RyanSeacrest.com Best Cover of an Ellie Goulding Song. That's very specific. Yeah, wow. That's a category at the Ryan Seacrest Talent Show. Yes. Mm. She appeared on ITV's Little Big Shots in 2017. Right. She became the youngest artist ever to have a number one song featured on the Beat100.com chart. Wow. A high achiever at a very young age. It's all downhill from here. In 2020, she released the single Lights Up through Sony Records. Yep. I think things really started to take off for her when she started posting covers on YouTube. Ah, yeah, okay. And then last year, she wrote a song about Eddie, Eddie's song. For Eddie from Stranger Things. Oh, Eddie Munson, Mm. the dude that played Master of Puppets in the uh, in the Upside Down. Spoiler alert. Sorry. (laughs) Eddie, baby, I just saw Nancy. She has been fighting a corner. I wish that you saw her throwing shade at the basketball team. Pretty good. No, it's, it's good uh, yeah, it's that's a rich producer. Did she produce that herself? I'm not sure, it's but a, it, it's it layers to that blew up on the socials. Did it? It did. Yeah, but she also received a lot of hate in the comments, and I'm well, not going to read them because they were just nasty. I just think that's you know, she's quite talented. Welcome to the internet, right? You yes. Know? Yeah, she is very talented. Yeah, sounds good. Good no on her. She's only she won twenty all those years old. Yes. I think there's big things. I take it back. There's it's not all downhill from here. I think there's big things in front of her. Sapphire. What I do think is interesting is is that she's done all this stuff, and then she seems to be getting more success probably from a monetized YouTube channel doing mm. covers on YouTube. Yeah. And I've seen that happen with a lot of musicians. There's a guy that uh, I'm friends with over on YouTube called Scar Productions who mm-hmm. plays in a in a band, in a pretty popular band um, called Equilibrium, and they, they do the festival circuit. Like they play mm. Wacken and all of that stuff, metal festival, and he actually gets more money from YouTube 
from doing metal covers of video game songs. So he did the cover of the and, – and he also did the cover of the Oh, he's the, the Tussacoin to your Witcher guy. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. was great. He's very, very that talented was. and he gets, you know, new computers and like because he's an influencer. So they send him guitars and he's endorsed and he's doing really well for himself and, and that's all from YouTube. And the band thing has had to become a hobby, which is kind of sad. Yeah, and it shows too. It should be the I other way around. With Sapphire, it shows that the the idea of getting uh, a record deal or fame from these talent competitions that's over. That's long yeah. gone. Yeah. Like she's won so many things, but it, yeah, it's the covers on YouTube that, and the the Eddie song that just took off on the socials. That's what's really kind of cemented yeah. it for her. She's like a talent show shark. She is. <laughs> she's like just sharking all these people yes. at talent shows. Like put twenty bucks on the table, <laughs> and then when it's her turn, she goes and wins all the pot. Yeah, I mean the prize money, not the pot. Don't do pot. That's bad. Which famous person having a birthday said this? There's some person, and they know where you walk every single day, and you go down this back alley, and they say that they're going to jump on you, and they're going to rip your cerebral cortex out of your head. If you said Christian Bale. You'd be correct. Yes, the English actor. Known for his physical transformations, he really puts it all out there. Puts sure his does. body on the line for his roles, doesn't he? He really does. I think The Machinist was the big one. Yes. But he's been, he was a child actor as well. So do you remember the Steven Spielberg movie Empire of the Sun? No. Yeah, it was great. It was set in like a concentration camp, I believe, and it was great. It was a really cool movie um, and he was the kid in oh. Empire of the Sun. Uh, he he played Patrick Bateman in American Psycho, which was also a good film. And this time, 20 years ago, he was probably getting ready for so, and he would have been on a pretty strict diet for mm. this one in the psychological thriller The Machinist, which was about a guy that I don't think slept. And he's like, he lost like an unnatural amount of weight. He was so thin. I remember everyone talking about this because this was in contrast, obviously, to Bridget Jones gaining all that weight. They're talking mm. about Renee Zellweger, but they're also talking about him because I think he lost 28 kilos or 62 pounds in four months. Yep. And he reduced his body weight to 120 pounds, which is 54 kilos. That's nothing for a bloke. That is so tiny. He wanted to continue down to 45 kilos, but they stopped him due to health concerns because I think 45 kilos is kind of the weight that they were looking at for the role if it was a a smaller actor, like a shorter actor. But given his height, going lower than 54, well, even 54 I think was a bit Bit, uh, bit of a stretch. Um, going any lower than that, they were really concerned for his health. Well, it's it's pretty crazy. Like it's just there's so many good movies that he's been in as well, and like The Prestige, like Christopher Nolan's The Prestige, where he goes up against Hugh Jackman as a magician. That was fantastic. The Fighter, the that Fighter, we watched recently? that was really good. good. He well, he stole the show in that. He put on a lot of weight for one of his roles when he was in Vice, and he played Donald Rumsfeld, oh. and he was. Like they, t- you know, it's always like, hey, check out this person's transformation. They are practically unrecognizable. He was unrecognizable as Rumsfeld in that movie. Uh, I mean, he's just been in so much. He's been in um, all the Batman films, obviously. The recent Sydney uh, Christopher Nolan Batman films. I know he said Sydney Nolan. He's a painter, famous Australian painter. Christopher <laughs> Nolan Batman films. He's in Ford versus Ferrari. That was a fantastic movie. Terminator Salvation, where he played. Jo- that was not so good. That was not a great film, Terminator Salvation. Uh, American Hustle. I mean, just he's he's like his resume 
is stupendous. Very, very good. A very good actor. I think the most recent thing I've seen him in was Thor: Love and Thunder, uh, where he yep. played Gore, the God Butcher, and it was he's, he was in Marvel, and everyone's like, Christian Bale's coming to Marvel films is going to be great, and unfortunately. Thor, Love and Thunder kind of missed the mark a little bit. And he was very underutilised in that, fatally underutilised. And then there's that one with the dragons that I was talking about with Matthew McConaughey, Reign of Fire, where the dragons take over the earth. I've talked about it before. Does he ride the dragon? No, he he fights them. Oh, I'd like to see him ride a dragon. Would you? Like Game of Thrones style, yes. (laughs) He's pretty much done everything else. You'd like to see Christian Bale ride a dragon. Ride a dragon. All right, I'll see. I'll get in touch. We'll get in touch with his people. Mm. Okay, Mm. sure. New card. What do you think? When there still was the Wall Street uh, trading floors and everything, I went and visited, you know, all different levels of people at Wall Street. But the guys on the trading floor, when I arrived there before making the film, and a bunch of them, they were going, oh, Patrick Bateman, and patting me on the back and going, oh, yeah, we love him. And I was like, yeah, ironically, right? And they were like, what do you mean? So it was always worrying. I'm Batman. In many ways, in the same way that people were telling me, hey, you can't go play Patrick Bateman, it's career suicide. And I was like, bring it on. Other people also said, hey, you know, if you play Batman, that's it. You're never going to play anything else again. You will always be Batman. And I went, bring it on. Happy birthday, Christian Bale. Hope you get a dragon. I don't think he's going to be interested in a dragon. But anyway, that's the end of the show. We're done for another week. Thank mm-hmm. you very much for sticking around. You can come and find us on the socials. Maybe you can come and defend us on the socials. That would be really nice. I'd really appreciate that. <laughs> Facebook, Instagram, search for T-minus 20 podcast, uh, TikTok. May not, much, may or may not still be there. How much longer we'll be hanging around on TikTok for, but it's, well, it's it's in the outro, so we've got to stick around there for now. But anyway, thank you very much for listening once again each and every week. We love you very much. We really appreciate the support, and we will see you next week. See ya. Thanks for taking the time to rewind. Join us next time for another week that was 20 years ago. In the meantime, come and reminisce on the socials. Search for T-20 Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok.